Okay. Romans 2. I'm going to assume you're there. Okay, to bring us up to speed, what have we talked about so far? What's the gospel about? What's the purpose of the gospel? Power of salvation, I heard that from somebody. (laughs) Saves, salvation, okay? And so Paul is now giving evidence of why men need to be saved. He's addressed the Gentiles. He has addressed the Jews. And so there we go. And so I wanted to just thought I would do this comparison, if you will, contrast between the Gentiles and the Jews as far as what, (coughs) excuse me, what Paul has talked about. If you think about it, he has demonstrated and, and given evidence that both Jew and Gentile, even though they knew God, had failed to honor him as God and had failed to give thanks. And as a result, they did three things. We've talked about that over the last two weeks. One, they exchanged God's glory. The Gentile, idolatry. What about the Jew? Did they not exchange God's glory? Think about the golden calf. Did they not do that? Hey, this is God. You know, just amazing what you put gold into fire and what pops out. Um, So idolatry. Second, they had exchanged God's truth for what? A lie. And so for the Gentile, that brought them down the path of paganism. What about the the Jew? What had they done? What did we look at last week? Matthew 15. They had elevated their traditions and made it equal or actually above God's law. And then the third thing that they exchanged was God's order. And so our standard, I guess, is another way you might look at it. And, And both Gentile and Jew went down the path of unrighteousness. And we looked at that, and Paul has given evidence in, uh, in Romans 1 and up to our point where we stopped last week in chapter 2 to give evidence that both Jew and Gentile had done the exact same thing. And if you recall, uh, and one of the things I, I talked about, and I think this was probably two weeks ago, I made a point that what Paul is doing here in this section and several chapters, he is just laying out from a very logical perspective, such as an attorney might when he's presenting a case before a judge or before jury. He's, he's presenting a logical case of evidence as, as to, uh, uh, regarding the points that he's made. And so if you recall last week, sort of like Exhibit A, as he's trying to show the Jews are guilty, he has shown that they are unrighteous, again, they have gone down this path just like the Gentiles. So that's, say, exhibit A. Exhibit B is their stubbornness and unrepentant heart. They've stored up wrath, uh, God's wrath. Why? Because they failed to remember that God is going to judge based on what? This is a review. Obedience to, yes, Deeds, works, right? 
Uh, and remember, the question I, I gave was, well, is it works or is it faith? Because going back to Romans 1, 16 and 17, I said, okay, we'll get there in just a minute. Oh, we'll get there eventually. But, again, he reminds his audience that God judges according to deeds. And that's uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. And that is actually a quote back all the way back to Psalm 62. So that's sort of like exhibit B. Well, exhibit C in his case is do not forget that God judges impartially. He has a standard, and he's going to judge according to that standard without regard to partiality. The Jews should have known that. And why? They had the law. They had the law. It was in the law. Turn to Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, Moses describes God as, uh, as this. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great and the mighty and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Okay? So everybody's going to be on the same playing field when it comes to God and his judgment. They should have known that. And he goes on to talk about uh, this contrast between hearers and doers. Okay? That it's not the hearer of the law who's going to be uh, saved, but the doer of the law is the one that's going to be justified. Does that passage sound familiar to you in another place in the New Testament? James. Okay? So if you go to James 1... I think it's verse 23, 27, in that section. James lays out this concept of do versus hear. So we'll come back to these concepts of faith and work uh, in other sections of Romans, and we'll make a conclusion later in the, in the book. But the Jews and the Gentiles had both failed to do the law. Not necessarily the law, the law of Moses, but the Jews had failed to keep the law of Moses, so they were guilty. The Gentiles had failed to keep the law that was instinctive to them. They were both guilty before God because, again, God judges impartially. And so he makes a point in verse 16 that judgment will be based upon Uh, This gospel, notice in verse 16 of chapter 2, on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. So, Jesus Christ is the standard. Now, I want to move on in to verse 17, because that really gets to the crux of this, this section here. Because he's going to move into this discussion that ultimately talks about the heart. Okay? And so, you think about the weekly briefing that I put in. If you don't get anything else out of this, this lesson, I want you to get this out of it. The true Jew, and notice what I put in brackets, child of God, is one whose heart is circumcised. If you get nothing out of that, I want you to walk away with this. And as we talk about this section of 
Romans 2, I want you to think about not in the context of the Jews. I want you to think about the context of you, of us, of God's people. Because the lessons that we walk away with in this section aren't just meant for the Jews that lived 2,000 years ago in the first century. They are designed to teach us. So I want you to walk away with that and think about that as we move forward. So, Exhibit D. Paul is now going to move into this discussion as he, he, he goes to this ultimate, I guess, climax of this section about talking about the heart. He's going to talk about or present evidence that the Jews have this perception of themselves. But the reality is something much different. So think about this. It's perception versus reality. So there are four things that he addresses. There we go. Four basic claims, I guess. I'm going to start, I'm going to use that word, claims for lack of a better, another word. But he gives them, the Jews claim four things. They claim that they rely upon the law, that they boast in God, that they know his will, and that they approve uh, the things concerning the law. Now, I want to dig deeper into these four concepts because then we're going to move into, we're going to discuss the reality, but then we're going to uh, move from here to as a result of their perception, they had this confidence about them that was also deeply flawed. So both their perception and their confidence in themselves were both deeply flawed. So first off, Let's talk about reliance upon the law. What did we think about last week? And Sam, you, you talked about it just a minute ago. Think about their use of traditions. Did they really rely upon the law or did they rely upon something else? They relied upon their traditions. Think about Matthew 15, what we looked at. They elevated their traditions above the law. And they made their traditions equal to the law. Okay? We're going to come back to Matthew 15 in a minute, so I won't belabor the point here. And we also talked about it last week. Did they boast in God? I want you to think about the Pharisees and the scribes. I want you to think about their behavior. Did they boast in God? Or did they boast in themselves? Themselves. I want you to go ahead. Let's go and look. Let's set the, the stage first. So go to Jeremiah chapter 9. <clears throat> well, it doesn't help me to go to uh, Isaiah. Okay, so Jeremiah 9, verse 23, I'll begin there. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might, 
Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So when you think about going back to the law, to the prophets, the Jews, if they truly knew the law, would have known to boast and have confidence in the law. But I want you to now go to Luke. And you may know where I'm going. Luke 18. So Luke 18, and he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So notice the description that that Luke uses, that uh, ones who trusted in themselves and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. Now, I'm going to stop here. What, what was the feeling of the Pharisees to the tax gatherer? Yeah, the Pharisee thought, wanted, didn't want anything to do with these tax gatherers. Okay? The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. God, I thank thee that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get, but the tax, uh, and I'm going to stop there. You almost get the Nebuchadnezzar syndrome. Do you know what I'm talking about by the Nebuchadnezzar syndrome? Look at all the things that I have built. That's what this Pharisee's saying. So, the question, as I said at the very beginning, as we go through these exhibits or this, these claims that the, the, the people made, what about us? Okay? So, are we like this and have contempt for those outside the church? We need to be very careful that we have an attitude that's really more like the tax gatherer. Because what is the attitude of the tax gatherer? But the tax gatherer standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. What was the attitude of the tax gatherer? Humility. Because if we're not humble, how can we stand justified before God? Because humility realizes our place before God. We are but a worm. Okay? So, where had they, did they fail or pass on rely on the law? Did they rely on the law? Pass or fail? Fail. Did they fail or pass on boasting God? Fail. Two strikes. Okay? Well, now let's look at 
know his will. So if you go back to Romans, the second chapter, let's look at this. But if you bear the name Jew, again, they have confidence in this name and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will. So that's what they're claiming. And and, and let me say this. I, I, I don't think I said this earlier, but Paul is almost being very sarcastic in how he's approaching the Jew. So his sarcasm is meant to almost be a scathing rebuke to the Jew here, to get them to think, to get them to realize what they have done as a people. So did they know his will? No. What evidence do we see in Scripture about them failing to know his will? We mentioned this last week. They crucified Christ. Christ. I mean, how many of the prophets talked about the coming Messiah and all the signs that were going to be given to the Jews so they would know when the Messiah came? But they were so pre, they had such a bias, a preconceived notion of who their idea of the Christ was, they missed it. Okay? So, did they know his will? Strike. So now, let's go and look at the fourth claim they make. Again, verse 18, and know his will and approve the things that are essential. Um, And so this concept of of, uh, approving, the word actually means to test, to examine, to prove, to recognize something as genuine after examination. So what's, what's the idea then? If they were approving the things that are essential in the law, what's, what, what, what are they, what's Paul conveying that they're claiming? They're keeping the law, but they are doing a lot of examining. Okay? They're doing a lot of searching of the scriptures. Think about the Bereans. Okay, they searched the scriptures daily to to make sure that what they were being taught was so. That's what they were claiming that they were doing. They were searching the scriptures. They were examining. Were they? I want you to go to Matthew 23. Because when I thought about this, I couldn't help but think about... Jesus's rebuke, condemnation of the Pharisees. And he talks about all these woes. Okay? And I'm going to go to, I guess, let's, for, let's uh, for sake of time, let's go ahead and just look at verse 23. Notice what Jesus says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Okay? So you get what he's saying? They were so focused on these things of the law that they did not look at the other components of the law, 
they should have done the whole thing. Jesus isn't saying they should have focused on the other three things. He's saying you should have, the Jews should have focused on it all. But they, they got biased and were looking at the little things versus the big things, the weightier matters. And I couldn't help but, again, think about this description of the Jews that they truly had not examined the scriptures as they should have. So what's that? What's the lesson for us? We need to be searching the scriptures. You know, I've made a point, if you haven't been in my classes up to this class, I've made a, 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 a historical point, and, and that is we have lost our ability to region, uh, reason in a logical perspective. We put way too much emotion in our reasoning. And we've got to know the law. We've got to know what's in here if we're going to go and convict others to follow Jesus. Because if our logic is based on reason, excuse me, on emotion, we're going to fail. Pure and simple. I mean, Sylvia and I have talked to many people that have come by the door, and it's all based on emotion. And when you start breaking it down, that's what it is. We cannot be guilty of doing the same, because then you will So, did they pass or fail on their ability to search the scriptures to reason logically about what God's law was? Sam. We we could add several more, but even the passage before that in Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus told the Sadducees, on on the other hand, you err not knowing the scriptures. Yeah. Many sects of the Jews just weren't. Yeah, and I think in Matthew 22, you're talking about the testing by the Sadducees about the resurrection, correct? Scripture, they could have reasoned easily from the Scripture to prove that there was a resurrection. But they were unable to. Okay. So, did they pass or fail? Fail. Okay, so they failed on these accounts. So what they claimed to be they were not. So, that brings me to this idea of perception versus reality. Because of their claims, they had this confidence in themselves. They were confident in their righteousness when they compared themselves against the Gentiles. So, I'm going to ask the question, what about our confidence Is it justified or not? And what I mean by that is the Jews were confident in their righteousness when when they compared to the, the Gentiles. But when we take a true, honest look at ourselves, should we have that confidence? When we look at the 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 world around us, do you understand what I'm asking? What I'm saying? So, there are three things that I want to talk about that Paul identifies. And again, this, this 
sarcasm. And so notice before I bring up, uh, move on to this next slide. Notice what he says in verse 19, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish. You hear the sarcasm here? And he's going to show that they really weren't. So, when I think about this guide to the blind, I'm going to go back to Matthew 15. So Matthew 15, again, this is the passage that we noted earlier where uh, Jesus condemns the Sadducees for elevating their traditions and teaching them to be doctrines uh, from God. And so notice verse 12. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Can you just not hear somebody today saying, That that, that could have offended somebody. Does that sound familiar? Did Jesus make an apology for what he said? Notice what he said. In verse 13, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into the pit. Jesus made no apology here for what he said to the Pharisees. None whatsoever. And so I'm going to make a couple of observations here um, with regard to uh, the confidence that, that the, the Jews had, as I indicated earlier, I think we need to be very careful about our confidence. We, we need to have a confidence in the faith, but it needs to be a confidence that we examine ourselves. What did Paul tell the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13? Verse 5. Examine yourselves, test yourselves. Yes, examine yourselves, test yourselves. So we need to be continually examining ourselves and not just assume that we're Christians and we're, we're good. We're on the church uh, roster, I guess that is. We're in the church directory and we're good to go. The second thing I want to really hone in on is this, this comment from the disciples about, do you know that the Pharisees were offended I think, you know, in our world today, everybody wants to be politically correct. And that concept, unfortunately, continues to make its way into the church, where Christians feel like they need to be politically correct for fear of offending somebody. So I'm going to make this point. Number one, I want, I want you to go to 2 Timothy, the, the fourth chapter. And I want you to go to verse 2, because what is the instruction that Paul tells Timothy as a young evangelist? He needs to be preaching the word, be ready in season and out of season, but notice these three words, reprove, rebuke, 
exhort. Now, you have three terms there. How many of them are positive and how many of them are negative? One positive, two negative, because one plus two equals three. Okay? So, what I guess the, where I'm wanting to go is this. When I think about here what the disciples say, I think about Paul's admonition to this young evangelist. And let's face it, we're all evangelists, okay, in some form or fashion, okay, going out teaching others. There is a measure to which we need to speak the truth in love, correct? That's what we're told, speak the truth in love. But I think we far too often are concerned about the effect, quote unquote, that the hearer may have. But that hearer needs to hear the truth. And when I think about just churches today, there's a lot of fluff and not a lot of substance coming out of those churches. And we need to be careful that we are hearing substance and not fluff. And I'm just going to give admonition or instruction to the preachers here. We need to have our feet stomped on in 2022 because there are, it's too common in the churches I have gone to, and I visited many, you hear fluff. You hear feel-good messages. I might as well be turning the TV on listening to a televangelist. We need to have our feet stepped on and not worry about being offended because Jesus made no apologies for this statement. And this was a very bold statement against the Pharisees. Sam. I don't know that I've ever been convicted of doing something wrong and felt good about it. And the gospel is to convict. Mm -hmm. And so if everybody feels good about everything they hear, there's something out of place. Yes. You know, when we hear a message that pricks our heart, that it's like, ooh, doesn't it feel good? What should we do? That, what should we be doing? We should be thinking and examining and thinking, how, okay, how does this apply to me? It, it gives us an, a, a, I guess, a, 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 a way to start thinking about how I am living or how I am thinking. I don't know who was first, if it was Alan or, or Chris. Let's go with Alan. Oh, you got the microphone. I guess you were first. It's interesting, right in Matthew 15, right after this passage you took us to, and the disciples saying, did, did they, the Pharisees were offended. Are you aware of this? Jesus takes them to Tyre and Sidon right after this. And there's this woman asking mm-hmm. Jesus, a Canaanite woman, and Jesus mm-hmm. speaks to her in a way that we would feel is very offensive. Even, you know, he says, it's not right to take the mm-hmm. children's bread, give it to the dogs. Right. And we say, Jesus, that's, that's kind of harsh or offensive. Oh, yeah. But she's not turned off by that, and you get this lesson that real faith is not stunted by being offended or having its right. feelings hurt. I think Jesus takes them there to show them that people that are really hungry for healing or for truth they can hear it, yeah. and they, they aren't turned off by the message. They still seek it. Right. Right. Exactly. Good point. Chris, in just a minute. 
So love is certainly important. It's, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says that the greatest of these is love. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we use edification. Uh, but um, in Matthew 10, uh, verse 34, it says, do not, and this is Jesus talking, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the, the nature of the gospel is divisive. It divides the uh, obedient from the disobedient. And that's not just you know people who are being converted, that's us too. Um, which side are we gonna be on every day? Yeah, and sort of touching on some of Alan's point is, if you truly have a heart for knowing, for wanting to know what's right, you're not gonna be offended by the toughness of the gospel. Because to your point, it is, it is divisive. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to add First uh, Corinthians one verse twenty three. I was going to add in First Corinthians uh, one and verse twenty three, um, in reference to uh, saying that the Jews demand the signs mm -hmm. and the Greeks seek wisdom. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So if we're preaching the gospel the way that we're supposed to be preaching it, people are going to get offended naturally. Yeah. That's yeah. going to be a consequence. Again, you know, speak the truth in love, but we have to realize there, it's going to be tough messages. Okay, let's move on. So, were they a guide to the blind? No, because they were blind themselves. So now let's talk about corrector of the foolish. I need to go back to Romans. Were they a corrector of the fool, foolish? Or were they fools themselves? They were fools themselves. Because we've already seen that Paul has shown that they are guilty just like the, uh, the, the Gentiles. And when you go back to verse 22 of chapter 1, professing to be wise, they became fools. Now, yes, that's written specifically describing the Gentiles. But isn't it descriptive of anyone who elevates their wisdom above that of God? So had they not become fools themselves because they had elevated their wisdom and their traditions above um, uh, gods. And when you also think about this, uh, touching on going back to 1 Corinthians, this idea of, of signs, wanting a sign, what did the Jews continue to ask for? They wanted signs. But what did, the, what did the prophets of the Old Testament do? They gave them, they gave the Jews the signs so that they could prove, that they, so that when Jesus came, the Jews would have confidence and know that Jesus was who he said he was. And so notice in uh, Matthew 16, <clears throat> this craving for signs, beginning in verse 1, and the Pharisees and Sadducees came up and tested him and asked him to show them a sign from heaven. 
But he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you not know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the time? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. So the Jews asked for a sign. Going back to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the foolishness of uh, the Jews wanting the sign when all the evidence proved before them that Jesus was who he said he was. So were they corrector of the foolish? No, because they were fools themselves. Then third, they were teachers of the immature. This is how the New American Standard says it. Corrector, a teacher of the immature, verse 20. Well, this word <coughs> immature actually means untaught. So were they a teacher to the untaught? Jesus said they made him more son of hell than, than they were when they began. Yeah. Proselytes. Yeah, day. yeah. And even notice... Going in verse 20, the rest of verse 20, they were a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. Well, let's think about it. What did the writer of Hebrews, how did the writer of Hebrews, rather, describe the law in chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 1? Was it the substance or the shadow? It was the shadow. It was something that was, uh, it was the shadow of the real thing, which was, uh, which was Christ. When you even think, thinking about Hebrews, when you think of Hebrews 8, and the writer of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah 31. What, do you recall what the writer of Hebrews says um, in in chapter 8, I think it's verse 13. And when he said, meaning... Going back to the prophet, when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old, uh, and growing old is ready to disappear. So what should the Jews, if they had thought rationally and logically through the prophet about a new covenant coming, what should they have known? The old, the current covenant was going to go away. The the law was not the end. And that's where, that, that going back to the Jews couldn't think logically. They couldn't reason from this scripture that this necessarily implies this. And so because of that, they saw that the law again, as Paul describes, was the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. So, were they teachers to the untaught? They thought they were, but they were the untaught themselves. And so, again, this, this rebuke here of Paul to, to the Jews. And so then... He moves into, this is really just question number two, what was the result of how the Jews were living? 
when you think about their claims and really what was going on, the reality, what was the result? The way they were living, what did it result in? Let me word the question that way. They were living like the Gentiles, yes. And what did that bring about to God? Blasphemy, blasphemy, yes. They were, their way of life was blaspheming the name of God because they were living just like the Gentiles were. And this verse 24 is really taken from uh, Ezekiel 36. And I, I want to go there for just a minute. I know Matt will not press that button yet. So if you go to Ezekiel 36, beginning, the, the passage itself is, is verse 20. But I want to go back up a little bit. And just for sake of time, I want to just <coughs> observe this. If you go to verse 17, verse 17, Israel has sinned and their sins have defiled the land. Verse 18, God brings wrath upon the people for they have forsaken him and turned to idols. Verse 19, he scattered them among the nations and has judged them according to their deeds. Verse 20, they continue to sin among the nations and these nations are saying, I thought these were God's people. And so notice verse 20. And when they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of his land. And so really when you get to verse 21 and following, then Ezekiel shows how God is going to rectify the situation and demonstrate to the nations that indeed he is Lord and his name is holy. But I wanted you to have some context to Ezekiel 36.20 because when you get to the end of uh, this section, he talks about the heart. And I thought that was interesting. In verse 26, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give, it, give you a heart and give you a heart of flesh. And so this idea now of the heart, I then want to transition to this next topic of circumcision. And that is a circumcision of the body versus a circumcision of the heart. Because when you think about the, the, the body, what did the Jews perceive circumcision to be? Physical act. A physical act. Hey, that makes us Jews. But what does Paul say here in, in this section of chapter 2? If therefore the, okay, let go, go to verse 25. For indeed circumcision is a value if you practice the law. So it's not just circumcision makes you a Jew. It's circumcision plus keeping the law that makes you a Jew. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. It's of no value because you have, you're living like the Gentile who's uncircumcised. Then going to verse 26, if therefore the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision because he's keeping the things of the law? 
And then verse 27, and will not he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who through having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? I want you to think about this as it applies to us today. Is it enough just to go be dunked in a pool of water? I mean, that's basically the same, same thing here. It's not just enough to get dunked. But it's, it's the baptism, it's the removing of the, the old man of sin, and we'll get to that in Romans 6, and then making sure that we are obedient to the law, to Christ's law, and live it daily. I have to stop here. We'll pick this up here and move into chapter 3 next week. Thank you.